Acts chapter 1. By the way, you read the last verses of Luke. It makes reference to his ascension, to Jesus' ascension. And now Luke continues writing in the uh, book of Acts. We begin reading at verse 1. Acts chapter 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times, seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this is our focus this morning, beginning at verse 9. When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verses 9 through 11. I invite you to keep your Bibles open to that as we consider these, these words this morning. So, beloved brothers, sisters, and Jesus Christ, and all who are listening to us, to this word this morning, you know, most people know about the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. And now many also know about the death of our Savior and also his resurrection. So they know about uh, Good Friday. They celebrate Good Friday. The church celebrates Easter. But the day of Jesus' ascension, not many people think about it. It's not even a holiday in our land. In some places, for example, in European countries, uh, the, the day of ascension, the ascension day, is a public holiday. But Jesus' ascension into heaven 40 days after he arose from the dead does not really receive a lot of attention. And even in our churches, we find that it's often not celebrated. Sometimes it's not even mentioned. Why is that? I'm not sure why. But we know on that day there was a great celebration in heaven on that day. Look at Psalm 47, those verses that we opened up with. Psalm 47, verses 5, 6, and 7. You know, the coronation is a joyful thing. The crowning of a king is something to be celebrated. And heaven here welcomed the Lord Jesus. And the angels were singing their praises. They were rejoicing. Well, so should earth be. Because now heaven is open to man 
to, to all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could say, when Christ ascended into heaven in our flesh, you can say it this way, heaven and earth became united. They became, I mean, in principle, it's become one now. It was always separated. But in Christ, it is united. Without Jesus ascending into heaven, you could say the resurrection of Jesus is not complete. His work then is not complete. Without his coronation, without his crowning, his work would not be complete on behalf of the church. So you can talk about a part A and a part B to the resurrection. Part A to the resurrection of Christ is when he arose victoriously from the tomb. Part B is him rising higher, being taken up and sitting on the throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Yeah, Jesus waited. You look at Luke, or sorry, Acts chapter 1. Jesus waited 40 days before he ascended to heaven. 40 days from the time of his resurrection. Why so? Well, if you look at uh, Acts carefully, verses 1 through 8, we find out why. Because Christ gave many, many convincing proofs that he was alive. He showed himself at least 10 times to his disciples and many, many others, up to 500 others. They were all witnesses that he's the one who overcame the power of sin, the powers of darkness and death and Satan and hell. Praise God for that. But you know, it's so crucial, no doubt. It is so crucial to believe this. Why? Because he, the risen Savior, is the only hope for a world that we see all around us, a world that's so much in despair. Depression is huge now. People are are becoming more and more depressed, more and more fearful. But he's the only hope to a world that's, that's broken, broken because of its own sins. And as we bear witness of him, as we bear witness to this Savior, to our neighbors, to those around us, to the ends of the earth, we are given the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit. He talks about that. Jesus talks about that in verse 7 and 8. Even earlier, Jesus had said, "It's, it's really important that I go away, because if I don't go away, he said to his disciples, then the Holy Spirit's not going to come to you. It's for your benefit. It's for your benefit I'm working on your behalf. That's why I need to go to heaven. And when I go to heaven, I will send my spirit who will give you the power, who will give you the strength so that you may continue to remain faithful to me. Jesus' ascension into heaven marks, as we said earlier, his crowning activity. Uh, he, He wears the crown, the crown of thorns that was on the cross now becomes the crown of victory. And in light of verses 9 through, 11, uh, 9 through 11, Acts chapter 1, we hear that, and this is the point, Jesus, Jesus ascends into heaven to be our king, and he does so on your behalf. Understand, it's not just for himself. No, he does so on behalf of the church. You could say the church in some ways rises up in him because Our flesh is there. We are flesh. And we are in him. 
And what we're going to ask this morning is three questions, which comes from our text. The text answers those questions. Where did Jesus go? Second, what is Jesus doing? And third, when will he come back? Those three questions. Where did Jesus go? Jesus was meeting with his 11 disciples for one last time. Final instructions. Final instructions are usually very, very important. And Jesus lays out his instructions. And then we read in verse 9, When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Notice. When he had finished speaking to them, when those last words were spoken that needed to be spoken, Jesus started lifting up from the earth. Really so. Historically, it really happened. You know, boys and girls, those disciples who witnessed Jesus being risen from the dead, they saw him. Now they saw him going up, higher, higher, higher. It was visible. They saw him going up in his body, his glorified, resurrected body, and higher and higher until they could see him no more, high into the sky, high into the heavens. They saw it with their own eyes, and it's written for us so that we too may believe it. We have witnesses. Those witnesses who saw it saw also, were also witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples saw the risen glorious Savior being taken up into heaven. <clears throat> now notice, if you look at, the, at verse 9 carefully, the text does not say that Jesus lifted himself up. The Bible says that he was taken up. Or as another translation says, he was lifted up. So, who took him up? By whom was he lifted up? By whom was he taken up? Jesus was lifted up on the cross. Remember that? When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. And now being lifted up to heaven, after rising from the dead, we hear the Father's answer. Yes, my son, it is finished. The perfect sacrifice for the sin of my people. You offered it. It's accepted. You are welcome. The work that you gave, the work that I gave you to do on earth is now completed, is now finished. And now you know, Brothers and sisters, Christ continues his work on earth. He is. Nothing's changed that way. He's continuing his work on earth. It's just that he does so from heaven now. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, I wish Jesus was on earth like, like the days of his disciples. Well, then what we're not seeing then is the great blessing. That's what we hope to see today. The great blessing of Jesus continuing his work from heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Jesus returns from where he came to his Father in heaven. Remember his prayer in John 17? 
Verse 5, he prayed, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had before the world was. He always was with the Father from all eternity, Son of God, Son of Man. What comfort there is, there should be, and we can see it. We receive that comfort, don't we? What comfort there is in these four words, he was taken up. Think about it. Jesus, the Son of God, returns with something he never had before from all eternity. What does he return with? What is it that he returns with? Our flesh. Our body. Though he's glorified, but he's there to represent us. He's there to represent the church. He's there on behalf of the church. And he will battle for the church till the time that he returns in the cloud of glory. It doesn't mean the church won't be tried. We see it being tried today. But he will be there. He is there for the church. You know, the fact that he's there in our flesh says a lot. There's so much we can bring out on that. Think about the fact that he's there in our flesh. We're united with Christ. We're united to him as his people, as his church. Always think of those beautiful verses from Ephesians chapter 2. We were made alive together with him. We were raised together with him. And then it doesn't stop there. We are also seated. We've been made to be seated with him in the heavenly places. It speaks there in past tense. This is, in fact, showing that we are there through faith in Christ. And he's there on our behalf. And we are there in him, in union with him. We died to our sin in him. He arose so that we can have new life in him. And now, as Ephesians 2 says, we are seated with him. So why the cloud then? Why the cloud? If you notice in verse 9 and 10, it talks about the cloud hiding Jesus from the sight of the disciples. Well, the cloud is a symbol of God's presence, his glory, <clears throat> his glorious presence. And there he hides the sight of Christ from his disciples and he welcomes the return of the Son to heaven. This cloud also shows the, the divine glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, which will not yet, which will not be seen by the church while it's on earth. But one day we, it will be seen. The glory of Christ will be seen by the church when he returns. But in the meantime, the cloud hides him from the sight of his disciples. Think of the cloud, for example, of the tabernacle in Exodus 40. Right? How the cloud rested above the tabernacle and the glory of God filled it. And then you look at 1 Kings 8. The cloud filled the temple. And so did the glory of God. All that signified the presence of God. In his son, when Jesus came to earth, we beheld his glory. And now what do we hear? We see that glory cloud, the glory cloud that was in the tabernacle and the temple, now resting on Christ and Christ himself in the glory cloud in heaven itself. Of course, that glory will come down, will descend, as we hope to see next Sunday, at Pentecost with the pouring out of the Spirit. The glory of Christ will be seen in the church 
That's what we hope to see next week. But where then did Jesus go? Ephesians 4 verse 10 says that he ascended far above the heavens. And he went there. He went to a special place. And he did so for a specific purpose. Elijah, of course, went to heaven. He ascended to heaven. So did Enoch. But for Jesus, it was entirely unique. He went to a special place for a specific purpose. And what is it? He went there to be seated. When you think seated, think of throne. He went to bear, he went there to be seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. What does the right hand symbolize? Honor, glory, power, authority. And that brings us to our next question. Okay, that's where Jesus is. Okay, what's he doing? What's he doing there? We said earlier, you know, he's ministering on earth now. Or he's ministering on earth, but from heaven now. And he's there fulfilling many functions, many roles. He's there as our mediator. He's there on our behalf. You have to understand that. In a world that is not so kind to the church, as a matter of fact, often attacks the church. But he's there on behalf of his people. He's there as our only high priest. He is busy. He is busy with so many things. One of the things he's busy with is interceding for his people. Hebrews 7.25, he lives, he always lives to make intercession for his people. If he would stop praying for one second, the church would just fall apart. Understand that he's there. He's there for you. He's there for the church. He's undergirding it. He's praying for it. Presenting it continually before the Father. And his prayers are effective. And he's also busy preparing a place, a home for us. John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. He's busy making homes for his people. And finally, he promises to be present with us by his spirit on earth. He's going to be sending his spirit so that we can also know that he is continuing to be present on earth with us. What a comfort. This Jesus is king today. And he is Lord today. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. You know, Jesus' bodily ascension into heaven marks the high point of his culminating work as our mediator. It marks his being crowned as king. <clears throat> now, you may ask, well, why did Jesus have to go really, really, really high to be installed as king? Wasn't he king already? I mean, didn't he already win over Satan, over death, and over hell when he arose from the dead? Well, yes, he did. And he's truly king, yes. But think of it this way. A man, I think most of us are, are aware of or, or heard of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, he won many battles. He gained victories. He conquered lands. But that's not all. There was also a day that was set aside for his coronation, his crowning as king of his empire. 
Well, likewise, Jesus, in a much greater way, and there's no way that we can compare Jesus to anybody else because, because no one else can be compared to Jesus. He's so much greater. But Jesus, too, he gained the victory over sin. He conquered our enemies. He conquered the powers and principalities by rising from the dead. And now comes his coronation. He's crowned with glory and honor. The world doesn't see it. The world likes to think it has matters in their own hands. Look at Psalm 2. You know how the kings and the princes of the earth, they contend against the Lord and his anointed. Right? They don't see it, but the church sees it by faith. So how does Jesus manifest? How does Jesus exercise his authority from heaven on earth today? How does he do that? How is he, how is he exercising his authority? We say he's king, but how is he carrying it out? Well, he's doing so by his word, through the proclamation of his word, through the preaching of the word. Seems very mean. I mean, seems very low, seems very humble. But that's the powerful means that Christ is using. Using the proclamation, the witness of his word, and also his spirit. And you notice that his ascension marks two things. It marks his dominion and second of all, his conquest. And he's using his word to accomplish that, to accomplish his plan. The world is in his hands. And we were just talking earlier this morning from Proverbs 21, verse 1. We, we think about the, the kings and the, and the presidences and the leaders of this world. But always remember the king's heart is always in the hands of the Lord. And it says here in Proverbs 21, verse 1, like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So yes, his ascension shows, first of all, we're going to see briefly his dominion over all things, his authority over all things. And that he does for the sake of the church on behalf of the church. The Bible says that that God the Father, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 to 21 and 22, God the Father has seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and dominion and every name that is named. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him, listen to this, to be head over the church, over all things to the church. Be comforted. Be encouraged. That he is ruling the world. He's ruling the leaders, the kings and queens, the, the princesses of the world for the sake of the church. Beloved, ultimately the world, the kings of the world serve his plan. And what's Christ's plan? His plan is to work on behalf of the church. The world is in the, is being, he's, he, the world is serving the plan of King Jesus for the sake of the church. The church is the center. The church, you could say, is the center of his plan. Let's never doubt that. The church is safe, always. It can be tried. It can be chastised. It can be persecuted. And we see that in many places around the world. But in the midst of that, we see 
what others don't see, what the world does not see. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Hebrews 2, verse 8 and 9. We do not yet see all things under him. We don't, not with a visible eye, but by faith we see him crowned with glory and honor. Well, what a comfort for children. I mean, what a comfort for parents who have children to be able to raise them up knowing that that Christ, knowing that the church is in the center of his plan. He's a faithful king. He's trustworthy. The powers and principalities can do nothing more than what the king of kings and the Lord of lords permits. That's all. They can't go any further. Only what the king permits. And he always has a good purpose for why he would give that kind of permission. His ascension also marks the beginning of a conquest. So his authority is his, but also the conquest of all the nations which will end at his return. When all the elect, when all those whom God has uh, uh, given to Christ to be saved, when all of them are saved, then he will return. But in the meantime, you see in Acts 1 verse 8, Christ has bound Satan so that the gospel, the witness can go to the ends of the earth. It marks the beginning of a long road of reversing the curse and that the blessing of God may come to the nations. And that comes through submitting by faith to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's where the glory is. The glory is seen in Christ and his work in the church as his kingdom spreads throughout the earth. You know, at the moment that Jesus took his place at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the kingdom began to be expanded. It began to extend to the ends of the ends of the earth. How does he do this from his throne in heaven? Again, through the word, through the proclamation of his word. By his spirit, he breaks the power of sin in our lives. We're evidence of that, isn't it? He breaks the power of sin in our lives. And he enables us to come to him before him in repentance and faith. He heals the brokenhearted. He truly brings hope and peace. Yes, he may afflict the comfortable. We can say that there has come in our day with a with the crisis. Christ is testing the church. There's affliction. But also know that he comforts the afflicted. And beloved, he uses you. He uses the church to carry out his conquest. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. Read through the book of Acts. It's not so much about the Acts of the Apostles, but it's about the Acts. It's about the deeds. It's about the work of our ascended Lord Jesus Christ, who is using his church by the power of his spirit to bring his claims throughout the world. You see a beautiful picture of this in Psalm 2. Psalm 2 was fulfilled on Ascension Day. And it's still being fulfilled, you could say. In response to all who contend, who fight against the Christ, God the Father says, he laughs from the heavens. And he says, who do you think you are? I have installed my king on my holy hill of Zion. And then you hear his promise to the Son. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. Christ reign alone 
is unchangeable, eternal. The kingdoms of the earth fall. They're on slippery ground. And so do the kings. They end up falling. Psalm 2, verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And that's why that psalmist concludes, Hear, O kings, be wise. Kiss the sun. In other words, submit to the sun, lest you perish in the way. All this Christ is doing for the sake of the church. He's working hard, tirelessly, night and day. He slumbers not. He never sleeps. Tirelessly working for his church. You have a strong and powerful Savior. He's defeated all the powers. Trust him. Your lives are safe. But trust him. Trust him. That's the key thing here. He is good. Christ is exercising dominion that God gave to man in the beginning. Remember our first parents, the task that God gave man? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Through sin, we lost that dominion and gave it over to Satan. And now Jesus, the second Adam, he came to regain dominion by living a perfectly obedient life in our place, by dying and rising, by ascending. He's our Savior. He's Lord. He's King. You know what? Something so comforting here as well. By his word and spirit, he gives to all believers, to all of us believers in our congregation, he gives the grace and the strength so that we can have dominion also over sin, the powers of sin in our own lives. Sometimes we are so tempted. Sometimes we are so drawn in by the powers of sin and unbelief. But always remember, always remember your position of strength is where? in heaven above all authorities and powers and principalities you know he gives to Christian parents the grace and strength to exercise Christ like dominion over children how? through the hard work of discipline and instructing children in the ways of the Lord where do you get that strength from? no one higher no one more powerful than King Jesus. Our ascended Lord, he gave, Ephesians 4, he talks about how he gave leaders to the church, pastors, elders, so that they may exercise dominion in the church, that they shepherd God's people with his staff by his word. He gives you the strength to exercise dominion in your everyday work. Think about that, right? To reflect his life, that you may continue to be a witness. In these ways, the Ascended Lord shows his gracious reign in our lives. So finally, briefly, how long will Jesus be away? And that brings us to our third point. When will he come back? Will he come back? Yes, he will. Jesus has not gone away forever. Remember, he's still building mansions. We want them, he's, he has to complete them. And all the elect, all those whom God has chosen have to be brought in. He will come back. Look at verse 10 and 11. While they looked intently toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel and also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner 
as you saw him go into heaven. You notice two things here. The angels give a word of rebuke and then a word of promise. First of all, the word of promise. Jesus is not gone forever. He's not gone forever. The day of trial, the day of tribulation is not going to last and last and last and last and last. The angels here, the messengers of God, give this reassuring word that this same Jesus will come again and he will make all things new. No, you will not bring him back by gazing into the sky, as his disciples were doing here. He has gone. He will return. He will return in his own good time, and in the same way, in like manner, as you saw him go into heaven. This means, brothers and sisters, that Jesus' coming will be personal, will be visible, will be glorious as was his ascension. The cloud received him, but Matthew 24 says he will also return with the cloud, the cloud of glory. He will return in power and glory. When will this be? We don't know. Anyone who says to you this in this year, don't listen to them. Nobody knows. But that he's coming, he certainly will. Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, which the Father has given by his own authority. But you stay busy. Keep busy. And no doubt there will be differences between his ascension and what you see there and his return. His return will be public. At his ascension, only the disciples saw. But his return, every eye will see, says Revelation 1. Instead of returning alone, Jesus will return with a retinue of millions and millions of angels to join him in his train. And he will return with a shout and with a loud voice and with glory and with power. And instead of on the Mount of Olives, the skies will light up from one end to the other. And that's why the angel here, he therefore gives also this rebuke. Don't gaze. Don't keep on staring into the sky and trying to guess the times. You be faithful in your calling. You serve him. Your life is in his hands. The church is in his hands. He's there battling for you. You serve him faithfully. That's all. That's the call. Serve him faithfully. Jesus is not gone forever. And no, Jesus will never forget you. He will never forget his church. But make sure don't forget him. Because if you forget him, things will not go well. Trust in him who will never forget you. The best days are coming. By his spirit, he promises to be with his people to the end of the age. The day of his return is coming for sure. Everyone will stand before him. Every person will stand before him in the final judgment. And you think of that call in Psalm 2. It's so clear to all people even to the kings of the earth. Kiss the sun. It's time. Kiss the sun. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And then he goes on to say, but blessed, here's the blessing, are all those who trust in him. To all who trust him, we have this comforting picture of the son of man standing to receive. You notice he gets up from his throne. He stands Stands to receive and welcome who? The very first martyr of the church. What a comforting picture. 
Stephen, who was being pelted with stones because of his preaching of Jesus Christ. And we read there, he gazed into heaven. There he is. He gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened. The Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And likewise, let not your hearts be troubled, brothers and sisters. He will return for all his own, and he will stand and receive and welcome all who believe on him with his arms wide open into his glorious presence forever and ever. All praise to him who sits on the throne. This is why it's possible. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.